I'm Mike Breen, and I'm speaking with Dan Rothman from MIT, and we're going to start part two or resume Dan's talk about his work trying to pinpoint the cause of this massive die-off and his theory that it was a methanogen, microorganism that produces methane, particularly the methanogen methanosarcina, was the cause. And so at the beginning, Dan will talk about his and Greg Fournier's work to pinpoint the evolution of this microorganism. So Fournier knew that methanosarcina had evolved sometime in the last 400 million years, but he didn't know when. And so he went about studying it in as detailed a fashion as he could by several different ways. And the result of that, what we call phylogenetic analysis or bioinformatic analysis, is that the date was estimated of its introduction into the biosphere at 240 plus or minus 40 million years. Now that's a big error bar compared to our specification of the extinction itself, which is something like 251 million years with a 40,000-year error bar, right? But nevertheless, it was on target. And then we realized something else. I mean, this is a hypothesis. It, it might have been this particular methanogen. But on the other hand, one would say, well, is there any, any way we can pin this down further? Well, it turns out that methanogens, and, and among those methanosarcina, require nickel for their metabolism. In fact, they can be limited by nickel. That is, the more nickel that's in the environment, the more they can, can metabolize on various organic substrates. It's a trace metal which is required for one of its enzymes to perform appropriately. And so we asked ourselves if there were any reason for nickel to have been more abundant at the time. And the obvious clue, of course, was that it might be associated with volcanism, that something about volcanism may have led to greater nickel concentrations. And it, it required about, uh, see, see none, none of us are really geochemists or um, the other science involved here would be petrology, is, uh, you know, the, the formation of minerals. We're not well versed in that, but it took us not very long, probably on the order of a few minutes, to realize that massive volcanic deposits are associated with the production of nickel minerals. And in particular, the greatest supply of nickel on the planet today is in Siberia and its, its, form, and its um, extrusion and availability and surface deposits is dated to the time of the Permian extinction. So we hypothesized that the formation or the extrusion of the nickel from the interior of the earth brought to the surface and then somehow by unspecified means either weathered into the oceans or might have been associated with some um, eruptions into the atmosphere. It found its way into the oceans and then in the marine realm it was able to essentially catalyze the evolution of methanosarcina. When I say catalyze, I mean the following. What Fournier has been able to determine from his reconstructions is that Methanosarcina evolved by what's called a horizontal gene transfer event um, from, from a different type of organism in which a gene was transferred across phylogenetic lines from a different organism. Now, once such a gene transfer event occurs, it either lives or dies. That is, it's successful or it's unsuccessful. Clearly, methanosarcina was successful because we still see it today. But if it was really to take off, it would have not only had to have an, a special advantage for the substrate, but if it were to, to take off in the way, you know, the super exponential burst that we found, it would 
quite possibly have needed further aid. And the further aid would be the removal of the limitation of nickel to its metabolism, that is, making nickel abundant. And so the final stage of this story was to analyze the geologic record for the occurrence of nickel. So I went to three of my colleagues at MIT, at Boyle, Roger Summons, and their then graduate student, Kate French, and asked if they would be interested in analyzing the, the sedimentary deposits at the time of the extinction. They were interested, they did it, and lo and behold, there was a big spike in the um, abundance of nickel in sediments at just the time of the extinction. So now we have the three elements of the story. The first element is an uh, environmental signal that's indicative of some type of biosphere event. That is, it's a nonlinear instability, which we hypothesized was an event within the um, microbial biosphere. Second element is an actual date for the occurrence of a specific organism that would have had a serious influence on the carbon cycle, that's methanosarcina, and that that date was consistent with the extinction. And the third element brings the volcanism into the story. It says, well, all of this might have taken place in part because of the removal of nickel limitation associated with volcanism. So it neatly ties together uh, several aspects of the extinction. Perhaps most interestingly, the finding by others that ocean acidification, that is the injection of large amounts of CO2 into in the ocean, may have been the mechanism that actually killed a great deal of the organisms at the time. And secondly, it somehow acts to, not somehow, it, it addresses an important puzzle, and the puzzle is, well, volcanism seems to be associated temporarily with many of these events, but it may not be enough to actually do any real damage. And so what might do the real damage? Well, it seems that the real damage might occur from instabilities that are excited by the environmental change that comes from the perturbation of, of the carbon cycle, such as volcanism. And so if you're listening to this and asking what does this mean for you know the uh, changes in the carbon cycle today, well, on the one hand, it's easy to say, well, this is very different. It was 250 million years ago. It plays out over at least 10,000 years or longer, and we don't know. And that's true. But on the other hand, it points to the importance of the we don't know remark. The we don't know remark contains within it a realization that the carbon cycle is like the Earth itself, or system itself, a complex system, and it stands to any kind of naive, naive reasoning that there would be the possibility of instabilities within it. Instabilities are excited by external changes. External changes do not need to be massive within themselves, but instabilities can create some kind of runaway changes in which certain quantities grow uncontrollably as a result of that external forcing. And we're suggesting that in the Permian, that external forcing came from volcanism, or volcanism act as the catalyst, if you wish, that excited changes within the carbon cycle. Today, humans are putting a lot of CO2 into the atmosphere at roughly the rate at which the volcanism did in those days. The volcanic contribution in the Permian was extended over a very long time, much longer than anything we're talking about today. But it's not clear where the thresholds are. 
and at what threshold things can change. And so the lesson, if you wish, for the present is that one needs to learn how the system works to, to be able to predict what the secondary results might be from such external perturbations. Secondary here doesn't necessarily mean less important. It simply means that the results of feedbacks within the system, which may indeed be positive. And, and the last point I'd like to make is that, well, I have two points to make. Um, since this is an American Mathematical Society podcast, I'd like to point out that the whole enterprise began with a mathematical observation and came from a mathematical analysis of the carbon cycle. But there's another lesson here, too, and it's, if, if you wish, of, of um, more general interest. Life and the environment have always co-evolved. The most outstanding example of, of that statement is the introduction of a microbe that made oxygen as a consequence of photosynthesis. And the oxygen in the atmosphere comes from that microbial innovation, which was perhaps about two and a half to three billion years ago. That forever changed um, everything about, about the planet, and specifically everything about the, the life that, that lives on it. We also know that every great extinction is associated with environmental perturbation. So the, this uh, additional lesson here is that changes within the biosphere can have a profound influence on the environment, which then can feed back into changing the biosphere itself. So that's what I have to say. <laughs> well, well that's you know, an amazing story. Would it always remain a hypothesis, or is there a way of, of proving that, uh, that this small creature caused or was part of the cause of such a huge extinction? Excellent question. So this science advances by making hypotheses that are testable, uh, first that are plausible and, and then can be tested. So you're totally correct to identify that question. And I would say that one of the most important ways to move this forward is to look for molecular signatures of the expansion of this methanogenic community at the time. Now, to my knowledge, organic geochemists do not have methods that they can basically take off their shelf and, and do this with. However, they do have access to a great deal of amazing tools and interesting ideas about how to extract information from ancient organic compounds. And so, it's certainly within the, the realm of possibility that they may invent new techniques in the, in the foreseeable future in which they can do this in a fairly direct way. In the absence of that at the moment, it's a matter of finding all sorts of corollary events that are either consistent with the hypothesis or inconsistent with it. So it's very nice of you to explain all this to us and, and explain the history of the research, what you did. Is there anything you'd like to add, Dad? I think I've overspent my time already. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very uh, much. Well, thank you. And and you did receive the Conan Prize for this work, for the, I think, for an article that you published in the bulletin. And it also uh, the work is described in the What's Happening in Mathematical Sciences series, Volume 10. It, it really is fascinating. Dan Rothman, Professor of Geophysics at MIT. Thanks, Dan. Thank you very much, Mike.